You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Techie Leadership Show. Our guest for today is Kent Graziano, aka the Data Warrior. He's the Chief Technical Evangelist for Snowflake and an award-winning author and speaker in the areas of data modeling, data architecture, and data warehousing. He's an Oracle ACE director, alumni, Knight of the Oak Table Network, a certified Data Vault Master and Data Vault 2.0 practitioner, CDVP2, an expert solution architect with over 30 years of experience, including more than 25 years designing data warehousing and analytics solutions in multiple industries. Basically, it's safe to say that Kent is an internationally recognized expert in cloud and agile data warehousing. Hello, Kent, and welcome on the show. Hey, Kent. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Our pleasure. Uh, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, let's see. So I've obviously, I've been doing this data stuff for a very, very long time. Yes. <laughs> uh, though I did, I started off, honestly, I started off programming in high school, my senior year of high school, myself and uh, my math teacher taught ourselves to program. Um, and I used it, I was taking some advanced science classes. I actually used the programming to do my homework. I, I, I wrote programs to solve the universal gas equation and to calculate pH for my advanced chemistry class so I didn't have to keep doing all the math myself. And that's cheating, how I got started. Cheating. And then in college, yeah, that wasn't cheating. Hey, yeah, I was going to put it into a calculator anyway, so it just made yeah. it much faster. All right? amazing. So, you know, yeah, that's my automation. Absolutely. And that's been a thing for me through my entire career. I've always uh, gravitated towards automation so we could get more done faster. And that ultimately led me into Agile when Agile came around. And it just made so much sense to me to find ways to do things more efficiently in the data space. Uh, I was one of the pioneers talking about doing Agile data and Agile data warehousing and Agile analytics and applying the Agile Ooh. manifesto in particular to data because it was done for years in the software world and nobody thought it could be done with data. And now we're finally getting there where people are adopting Agile techniques for big data platforms, right? And building things incrementally because, hey, let's face it, the business world's changed. Things are changing so fast now, right? with all yes. the new technologies, IOT data, everything changes so fast. If we're gonna really deliver the value of the data from an analytics and a machine learning and an AI perspective, we've gotta be agile as a data team. You know, it just, we can't do it. And I think uh, Snowflake, one of the reasons I got attracted to Snowflake was because to me, it's, a, it's the ultimate agile data platform, right? No infrastructure being in the cloud that you just, load data, query the data. If you've got a lot of data to load, you just, you can assign more compute to it and boom, it loads. And you need to run a massive query against billions or trillions of rows of data. You can actually do that. I actually heard a guy yesterday say, um, it's like having a hundred million dollar supercomputer at your disposal, except that it didn't cost you a hundred million dollars. And that's the kind of the beauty of the cloud is it allows us to be agile and spin up this great set of resources for what we need when we need it but you don't have to like 
plan that far ahead and you can just go, oh, hey, we've got a problem to solve. Let's go solve it. And it doesn't cost you $100 million to do it. So that's kind of kept me, I'll say, uh, charged up about the industry over 30 plus years going from, like I said, just a kind of a scientific application developer. I eventually discovered data and primarily in the Oracle world and said, hey, this is, this is something, you know, dealing with data management. And then I got introduced to data warehousing, working with uh, the father of data warehousing, Bill Inman and Claudia Imhoff. And that was the first book I wrote was with, was with Bill Inman on data warehouse design. And that kind of hooked me. The idea of business intelligence and analytics, I could see that you know, every business can benefit from this concept of being able to look at the data and, and really become leaders in their industries and provide the best uh, service to their customers uh, and really drive and build a great business if they can take advantage of all of this data and over the last 30 years, it's just, it's just increased, right? It's just gone crazy. And now we have events like the one we met at Texylvania there to bring people together who are really trying to see, you know, what, what can we do? What boundary can we push today that we couldn't push last, last week? And I look at it from my career and go back and say, you know, there's things we're doing today that people literally didn't even dream of a couple yeah. of decades ago, right? It's just the volume, the sheer volume of data. Uh, like I said, it's like having a supercomputer. Back then there was Cray computers and maybe <laughs> the U.S. Defense Department might have had a big super secret computer they could do a bunch of stuff with. But the rest of us, you know, we could, we could never do that. Now the clouds kind of change, literally changed everything, right? That we can, just like the internet changed everything several decades ago and the access to information now the cloud is giving us this capability to do things with data and share data and process data in, in ways that we just never would have dreamed of for that basically any organization can now do it. And you can start a new company with two guys in a studio, right? Oh. <laughs> right. And they can, <laughs> and, and, and you have an idea you can, you can get started and it, and you don't have to have a million dollars in venture capital to get started. You can, you can start on a very small budget and test out an idea and then go to something like Texylvania and pitch it to the yeah. uh, angel <laughs> investors and the venture capitalists and see if somebody likes your idea and will give you a, a little money to go the next level. And it, it's, it's crazy, right? It's just, things have changed so much. It's, it's very exciting. Of course, they they change. So I always find it amazing that the the same people that were taught in school that nature abhors a void are the same people that forty years ago thought nobody's going to need eight megabits of storage space. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. That 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 is true. And so we say now we have more memory and compute power in our mobile phones than the biggest corporations had in their data centers and in, in their computers, you know, 20 years ago, even. Right. So it's, and like you said, nobody ever thought we would have a use for it when personal computers came out, IBM PCs. It's like, Oh, you know, who's going to yeah. really need personal, <laughs> yeah. personal computer. What do you mean? People are going to have computers in their homes. That's nuts. Only, only the wealthiest people are ever going to do that. And even then they don't really need it. And now we've got 
tablets. You've got mobile devices that do a thousand times more than those did. Yeah. And you know, Ken, what I'm really curious because having your experience, overarching experience, especially being involved in data, and I, I would, I'm really excited about analyzing how data has shifted or improved like leadership and how it, it shaped and what kind of stories you witnessed where data was crucial like from a leadership point to, to make like better decision or improve the leadership style of somebody. Well, uh, there, there are so many examples. Like you said, uh, right now, especially, well, you know, the pandemic is going on, right? And so the yes. access, access to data about the pandemic is something that's happened within Snowflake in our data marketplace. Uh, a company in Hungary, I think they're based, Star Schema, went out and figured out how to collect all of this uh, COVID-19 data from Johns Hopkins University and the CDC in the US, the Italian health authorities, and they were able to take and turn that all into a curated cleansed data set that was analytics ready and put it up in the cloud uh, via Snowflake so other customers could get it and use it to make decisions about their, their companies. And we've had over 2,000 organizations ask for access to that data and it's free. And so that is from, uh, I'll say, a, a industry leadership perspective is allowing retail organizations, financial organizations, governments, educational institutions to be leaders in, in their sectors by getting in front of the pandemic and figuring out how do we forecast knowing where the hotspots are, um, how it's going to affect our supply chain. And really, you mentioned, you know, you know, being data-driven, right? Data-driven business decisions. Uh, and there's just, there's, there's so many of them. Uh, it, it, it's hard, hard to quantify, right? That we, we see in the U.S., the state of California put up an entire website um, to let the citizens of California look at the data themselves. And so they can go and look at their neighborhood and the city they live in and see what's happening here. Yes, okay, we know there's huge numbers across the United States. There's huge numbers across California. But I live in San Diego. I only care about San Diego. And I want to know, you know, do I think it's safe to send my kids back to school? Well, the state of California has made that data available to their citizens for free and built a website around it that uh, we help them with to, to do that. And it's like, you know, that's, that's leadership, right? That's, it's a different kind of leadership, right, than what we normally think about. But it does take that, the vision, whether it's the, the chief data officer at a Fortune 100 company or it's the governor of a, of a state in, in the U.S. that says, yes, let's go do this. Let's, let's figure out how to do this and make this information available because it really, truly can have a very positive effect on the lives of the citizens to make that information available. And so, yeah, right now it's probably, it's as bad as this pandemic is and as constraining as it has been on us personally from a travel perspective and a social perspective and even an economic perspective, you know, there are leaders 
coming to the forefront in the different industries who are looking at it as an opportunity and looking at the technology and saying, how can we leverage this for the benefit of the people we need to take care of, whether it's our customers, our partners, um, our citizens. And that sounds like from, from the individual perspective, I'm curious, like, what would be the biggest leadership success story you witnessed personally? The biggest, man, there, there, there's so many. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's okay. hard, hard to pick one out. You know, I like the California one in particular. I think that because it came together so fast that it was a decision. And I think part of lead, good leadership is being willing to make a decision and not debate back and forth. Well, should we do it? Should we do it? You, you have to consider the risks and you have to consider the rewards and to be able to very quickly do that cost benefit analysis, that risk benefit analysis and make a decision and, and not spend months or years doing that. And so I think, you know, the state of California example, I think is, is a good one. Um, we have uh, boy, what else can I come up with? I mean, there's just, there's too many. It just boggles my mind sometimes to, to see some of the things we're doing. Uh, we have a, uh, a podcast that Snowflake runs called Rise of the Data Cloud. And we're up on episode, I think, 17 now, where we're talking to all these business leaders and it's that are, they're trying to be data driven. And there's some really just great examples there. We're talking to, uh, people from different organizations like S&P Global and a few others. And of course our CEO is on there talking about you know, the, the opportunities. And I think, you know, as far as personally impacting me, probably the leadership of our CEO at Snowflake, Frank Slootman. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the vision that he had coming in as to what Snowflake could become and how we could serve all of our customers better. And it has been, you know, obviously transformational. We, we IPO'd two weeks ago, became a public company from a startup that in 2012 with two French guys, right? Two French guys in a room with a whiteboard is now okay. we're the, the largest software IPO in history. So, so what in, would you consider in, in, knowing in eight them? years? In eight years. So, what would you consider the secret of their success, their leadership success, to to drive the company to be so successful? What have you like knowing them? What would you say it's their secret sauce? Well, ha, ha, it, it's secret really leadership sauce. Yeah, from a leadership perspective, it's and this was even our our prior CEO Bob Muglia, who was running the company when I joined. And his vision is it's always been focused on the customer, and what can we do to improve our customers' businesses and help them become data leaders. And so having that vision, and then behind that we have um, the, our Snowflake values and customer. First is the first value. Integrity always is the second value. Um, and having that and setting it as a corporate culture. And that requires uh, always it's the culture of an organization comes from its leaders and how they behave. And are their actions consistent with their message? And I've definitely seen that with, you know, certainly Benoit and Thierry, 
um, are so passionate about helping our customers and building the best platform possible that they focus all their energy on that. And then having the leadership of, of Bob and now Frank in how are we going to get this into the market? How are we going to position the company uh, so that we can expand the vision? But it's always coming from this, what's the value to our customers? Any product feature that we're going to introduce, it's always based on business value. And it's an implementation of, from an ad, we talked about Agile before, uh, on an engineering side of prioritized backlog, right? Looking at how it gets prioritized is from a business perspective. And it's not so much about, yeah, there's a lot of cool things you can do with technology and we're not gonna do them just because they're cool. We're gonna do it because it delivers business value. And that's how we make our engineering decisions as well is what's the value to our customers of feature A over feature B, right? And the one with the bigger value, that's the one we work on first. Um, that's why we started in the United States because you got to start somewhere. And then we went looking around the world to say, where can we go? You know, where should we go next? And we said, decided Europe, we're going to go to Europe. So we start with, with England and then we move into uh, mainland Europe and then into the Nordics and uh, into Eastern Europe and, so on, right? And that's all based on business decisions of, you know, what organizations uh, can we help, right? And where are they? And then let, let's, let's go there and, and help them. And so I think that's, you know, obviously had a, a huge impact on me personally, because I've now been here for almost five years now, um, getting to see this whole growth cycle from uh, a startup in Silicon Valley to now being, you know, a, a global software company. I said so there was a hundred people in the company when I joined and now we have well over 2000 employees and over 3000 customers around the globe. So that's some serious growth. And I think like it's hard. So when it's a small company, it's easier for, for the CEO and top management to, to be closer to the, let's say like the front lines and uh, make sure that your vision and oh, Lead the by values. example. Yes, and lead by example. But now when it's like a company has grown that much, like uh, from what you've seen, like what would be some changes in the approach that you apply to make sure that you still have the same values and uh, even if you're growing, you're actually not killing your, your culture. Right, and, yeah, and certainly that, that is a challenge. And, and I think it was a concern for, for people, early, early folks at Snowflake, and uh, we, we have that culture of servant leadership and we have customers who are doing what we call data for good. Part of the way they're maintaining it is um, Frank actually sends us an email every Monday morning. Every Monday morning, we get an email from him to the entire company where he often he'll talk about our culture. He will talk about, you know, some of the key meetings he had the prior week and all of his meetings revolve around how we're helping that organization. So he'll relay stories to us about um, how a particular organization in a particular industry is taking advantage of Snowflake and what it's doing for them and the positive impacts it's having. But then he also uses those opportunities to paint the vision of the future and, and, and honestly keep us on task and say, okay, especially now we're, we're a publicly traded company, 
great. Now we have to deliver. We have to keep delivering. We've been delivering. Now, you know, not the time to take the foot off the gas. We got to keep going. We got to keep delivering. We got to stick to our values and, and build the platform that our customers need. And so we do get that every week. We get that every week. And there's, um, you know, it's a very transparent company uh, with all the executive leadership where we do have regular check-ins with the different teams um, that, that are open for people to attend. Uh, they do enablement sessions. Uh, we have uh, online training uh, uh, that cool. reminds us of the things we need to do, especially like security, always getting recertified on security <laughs> protocols because that is so important for us to be aware of all the security risks, you know, cybersecurity risks. And so we're all trained on that. And that helps us operate as a, even as we've grown bigger, to still operate as a, uh, a unified organization. Well, that's, I, I like the, the email part. That's something, and especially having the CEO detail like stuff that he did like the previous week. It's not something that I've heard like until now, and it's a, it's an awesome idea. I like it. It's a great tip. It uh, <laughs> gives that sort of personal touch. You know, a lot of uh, business leaders, and you see this portrayed in movies, they do that gimmick with "my door is always open," but people get used to that one. But when you when you're in actual direct contact at the same time. Actually, you get to see at, at least a part of the work that the CEO did because most of the time you don't get to see like what he does and he doesn't have to report to you because he just reports to the stakeholders and, and now the investors. Yeah, the board directors and, directors and, and people like yes, that. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's like from time to time and it's not always open. So you as an employee don't really know like is he working or not? Or what's happening? Where is he going? Like what ideas? It, it's harder. So this, like having a, a, a weekly email, it's, it's an awesome, it's, it's an awesome thing. Yeah, and he does have had that open door policy because when I, I don't, I don't live in Silicon Valley. I actually live outside of Houston, Texas, but I go to our corporate headquarters on a fairly regular basis again, prior to March. And I've always been able to, if he was in the office and his door was open, I've regularly walked into his office just to talk to him for five minutes and see, see what he's thinking today. Um, any, anything interesting. And he's always wanting to know what I'm seeing in the field because I'm doing so much travel, uh, speaking at events again, like Texylvania or meeting with uh, prospects or customers in different countries. And so we, we compare our notes and, and that's, that's great. Uh, uh, our former CEO, Bob Muglia was exactly the same way. And, you know, he was a great mentor to me. Um, when I when I joined Snowflake and always asking asking my opinion, particularly about the market, what do I see in the market, and are are we going the right direction? Are we doing the right things? That's that's been a concern consistently through, and I know that comes from our founders that that's they want to make sure that we're doing the right thing all the time, and it's and it's maintained even through the growth from 100 people to over 2,000 people. That has been consistent, and that's a um, like you said, that's that's the leadership aspect of it, and making sure we have that kind of an open culture. And Ken, it can't all be like milk and honey. So, what is like the biggest leadership failure we had unfortunate experience of witnessing? Well, um, 
prior to Snowflake, I did a lot of consulting. I, I was in and out. I, I've run IT departments, um, run built data warehousing teams in different industries, but I've also been an independent consultant and consulted a lot. And I did have, uh, I'll say the most unfortunate one I had was uh, working for an organization that hired me because of my expertise that you recounted there in my bio. Um, okay. Because they, they needed to build a new data warehouse. What they had was failing, um, couldn't scale. They, they needed to add way more sources. And so they hired me to help them design the new one. And then um, a couple months in, we had a new person come in that was another technical person, but more on the data integration side who didn't like the design I was doing, um, okay. particularly data, data vault, using the data vault approach. Uh, well, and I was hired specifically because the manager liked the data vault approach. Well, by that point, uh, we had new integration programmer. Um, the manager who hired me had moved on. The VP that I was now reporting to decided he didn't like the approach that I, that I was proposing that we had been designing all along. And oh he God. had no experience in data, but decided <laughs> that this, for whatever reason, this other guy made more sense than I did um, and told us we were not allowed to use my approach. And, you know, that was a, it was a major fail because from a leadership perspective, because I, I believe as a leader, you want to surround yourself with people who can advise you on the things that you don't know. And here we had a situation where I had been brought in specifically to advise them on a best practice and approach to building a successful warehouse. And they chose then to not only ignore my advice, but to instruct the team to take a completely different approach and instructed me to basically to be quiet and to help them implement this other approach. Uh, and, and they also had like high churn because uh, the guy that brought you in left, a developer, was, yes. a new guy, the integration developer got changed also. So why, and interestingly, why I, I, actually, I, I actually survived the integration guy. He's, he, <laughs> he didn't even stay. He, he was only there for about a year and a half and he, and he, he left on to a, another opportunity on his own. Um, but it was, uh, it, and so that was, I, I even, I even speak about that at some of the conferences I've spoken about this particular, uh, aspect, uh, of my career and say, you know, it's not always about technology and this is where you get the, uh, you know, uh, as you said, a leadership fail that it was really, it became a political situation and we were making technology and methodology decisions based on politics rather than on what's the proven best approach. Um, and that's, so, you know, like I said, that, 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 that's a, about, uh, it's a very uncomfortable situation to be in. <laughs> it is. And especially the bigger the corporation is, the more politicking uh, is going on. Oh yeah. So, and you have like a lot of experience, like 30 years working with big corporations because usually big corporation is like data whizzes. So what tips do you have on how to be a good politician inside the corporation? <laughs> well, the number one, and I, I think I've been saying this for years, is you have to learn to speak the language of the business. You cannot be just a pure technologist. If you're a pure There's technologist, a then you'll be 
um, you won't get a seat at the table, right? You have to be able to um, be a technology business liaison. Uh, and I was very successful at that when I was at HP. I actually had business people tell me that I was the only IT person they'd ever met that they could understand. <laughs> and, that I, and they even told me at one point, because we were working on a big master data model, that uh, I understood the business better than they did in their individual groups. That I knew, And I knew more about the entire business uh, it was supply chain in particular at HP that I knew about the breadth of it and I understood the different aspects of it and I used business terms. And so when I was talking to them, even just in reviewing the models, they understood the terminology I was using. And that was the key was really adopting the, the business terminology. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, it's part of that. If you're going to you know, have to deal with the politics and the leadership uh, part of that is, you know, becoming a champion for them and using their terminology and understanding. And I think this comes from Agile. I learned this really from Agile. Um, it's, it's about building software and building systems that enable the business people to do their jobs effectively. And if you're doing that, then you can have alignment. Right? And that's where they have to be able to see the value in that concept from Agile of delivering working software on a regular basis. Right? That's what builds your credibility and trust with the business. But in order to do that, you have to be able to speak their language. You've got to be able to interpret a user story. And when they give you a user story about some problem they're trying to solve, you've got to be able to translate that into the technology and what's the most efficient technology to use an approach to use to deliver what they actually need and to do something in an incremental fashion so that they see the results. And that is going to be the validation for them that you understood what they said, that you didn't, you know, listen to them and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you need. And then you go build something that's completely not what they needed. <laughs> right. Uh, at least in agile, if you're following the, the methods properly, you know, you only Final go fast. once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fail fast, right? You, you you go one sprint, you do the demonstration, they're going, were you in the same meeting with me? I don't think you heard what I said, because that's not even close to what I wanted. Um, and, and being willing to have that criticism as well is another important feature is being able to willing to take that feedback and not be personally offended because yeah. you built this really cool thing and they think it's stupid. All right. Well, I think it's stupid because it's not what they need. It may not be stupid, but it doesn't meet the need. And that's your job is to meet the need. And that goes back to, again, the philosophy at Snowflake of customer first is we need to meet our customers' needs. We need to meet our customers where they are. And in a big corporation, to me, it's the same thing. You've got to meet the business people where they are. They may not understand data that much. They may not understand the technology that much. And you can help educate them on that, uh, on that aspect of it, but you do need to listen to them. That's, and you have to listen to them, understand what they're saying, because you understand their terminology, and you can also speak back using their terms. And Correct. how big yes. is like the vocabulary, like of business terms? It's, 
How many words would you say who you would need to learn? Oh, I have no, I have no idea. And it, and it varies by industry. So that's, yeah, uh, that's also one of the true. things what? that I got to see as a, uh, as a data modeler throughout my career is working in different industries and, and working in healthcare. And there's a specific um, vernacular they use. You know, there's the, all the things around patients and clinics and diagnostic codes and all these terms. And you, you have to learn to understand that if you're going to deliver them what they need and the financial services, same thing. There's a lot of terminology there. So each, while there's common things across all industries, we all have to deal with people in organizations and various hierarchies um, and purchasing and, uh, you know, receiving, you know, POs, all of that stuff from the basic business stuff. There, there is a limited vocabulary there and there's some common models for that. But then for the niche that they're in, the particular industry, there is specific terminology. And so every industry you go into, there's going to be new vocabulary. Yes. Right? And there'll be um, a little bit, you know, a little bit of overlap with some of the other industries, not the very basic stuff, but then, and you've got to adopt that vocabulary in order to be able to speak, um, with the business people. So it doesn't do any good to, you know, demonstrate, you know, do a demonstration to a financial person talking about patients and doctors and clinics. Cause even though it might conceptually be the same sort of thing, it doesn't make any sense to them. You need to be talking about customers and clients and banks and money exchanges and things that make that resonate in their industry with their experience. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, then they're not to try me. to translate it in their head. Yes, and this reminds me like of a story. I think it was like a lawyer, and he said like his secret to getting clients and making sure that his clients were really satisfied is, for example, if he got like um, an industrial manufacturing he that was making automotive parts, he would go pick up like a couple trade magazines and learn like, 15 terms from from and understand the terms that they're using that the ones that had the most recurrence in in the magazines learn those and he would go and speak with his clients uh, using those terms and make analogies based on the those terms to what he was going to do in his on the on the legal side how he's going to handle their business on the legal side but using terms from their industry to create metaphors and analogies for his work and he said like my clients love me because of that because they understand yeah. what i'm doing and the value of my work uh, and you just reminded me about this and uh, it's basically <laughs> kind of like having a, your own personal we speak your language sign yeah. That's what it and is. everybody knows that lawyers love to do their cryptic talk. Oh yeah, legalese. <laughs> yeah. Their legalese. Uh, but if you want to have success, uh, even as a lawyer, you have to use <laughs> something that you have to adopt the language of, of the people you are serving and working with. Yes, exactly. Okay, so can you share with us what is your leadership philosophy? Um, it, pretty much what we've been talking about it, it it's lead by example uh, but also you realize that your job as a leader is to empower 
the folks that you're leading, the team that you're leading. And I found that to be uh, very effective when I had uh, led teams in the past is I really have felt my job was to enable them to do their jobs better. Right? So and for example, always, what would you do? Uh, well, I had one of the uh, big data warehouses I did a couple of decades ago. I was given a team. Some were volunteers, some weren't. Uh, that had no experience in data warehousing. Um, a couple of DBAs, somebody, some people who had done some programming, and I found, you know, I had to figure out what was the best way to train them. So some of that was me doing some of the work and showing them and explaining to them what we were doing, laying out the vision for the project, what we're going to do, and how we're going to get there, and being open and saying, well, what do you guys know? What don't you know? What are you interested in? And I didn't know it at the time, I was actually implementing a version of self-organizing teams by working with the members who had been assigned to me to find out what their strengths were and what their interests were and allowing them to pursue those within the context of the project. And so, you know, figuring out who's most likely to sort of understand data models and who thinks that drawing a data model diagram is kind of cool. Great. Well, that person can become the architect. Who really likes to code? Well, that person became the ETL developer. Who really likes running reports and building reports? Well, that person became the business analyst that worked with the business people to figure out what we needed to deliver. Um, and really working that way, but also sending them to classes and you know, having the making sure I had a budget to send them to get the basic training about data warehousing theory so I don't have to teach it all of them myself and they have some reference materials, letting them buy books. Um, the other thing I did was one of the things that I've learned is that to be good at something, one of the ways to get really good at something is to teach it. So I encourage them because someone did this for me early in my career, encourage them to present at conferences. So I would help uh -huh. them craft what do you, what, what part of this project excites you? Well, can we turn that into a conference paper? And I would help them come up with the title and um, write the abstract and then let them go and go to big conferences and actually present the work we're doing. And that served two purposes. One, it, uh, well, actually it's probably more than two. It, it allowed <laughs> them to consolidate and uh, really firm up their understanding of what it was they were doing but it made them more confident in what I they was were gonna doing. say that it, it gave them this confidence you know to stand in front of a couple hundred people and talk about our project and talk about the part of the project they're doing and be able to then field questions people they've never seen before about why did you do it this way why did you do it that way it actually built their confidence in our methodology Yes. Because they were able to explain it to people and had see people nodding their heads going, oh, that makes sense. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and so that in turn led to them being fulfilled and them liking their jobs. And um, really part of Agile is having a motivated team, right? Uh, so because in the data space, these are long projects. There, there's no project. It's a program, right? You're going to go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. So they became, they were very motivated and, um, you know, that particular team, several of the members have recently retired 
and it's been 20 years. So they, they, they got put on this team knowing nothing about data and data analytics, and they ended up making that the rest of their career is working on that central repository and have now retired from it, including several technology changes in between. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm actually talking to them because they're uh, this particular organization is a potential Snowflake customer now. And one of the old managers that I used to work with, who was a young guy like me at the time is now one of the senior directors. And, And so, and they're still running the system I designed 20 years later. Talk about networking. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, but, and so now we're looking at it. So what's the next step? How do we modernize it now? How do we come into the modern age? Um, so, I mean, that's you really get to kind work of, on your, on your, improve your initial work. Yeah. Uh, but the and it, it will live find, on, it will live yeah. on more. <laughs> Forever. Forever. <laughs> so, but the thing I find most interesting is because I'm also a great supporter of teach to learn. So if you really want to learn something, get to the point where you teach it. But my view was like teach it to other colleagues inside the company, have informal meetings. But your idea of actually going and doing a presentation at an event, that's even great because I know what happens, as you said, like after you get off the stage, you're going to get like flocked with people. Some will agree with you, some will won't agree with you. And you'll get challenged on all the major stuff you did there and you presented. So, so it puts you in a situation where uh, you, you, you have to see, you either learn that maybe there's a better way because you get convinced that and you learn that, or you become more convinced that, yeah, what we're doing is right and it works because you get, and you get like, it's, it's also exciting. It is. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is really, it's also as a leader, part of the, what you need to do is think about career development for the team that you're working with. And so the, going to a conference, as you mentioned the word network, it expands their network and that helps them with their career development. Now in the case of this team, many of the people, as many people as they met from all sorts of different organizations, they were very happy doing what they were doing and be, were very successful with it and continued to deliver value for that organization. So they stayed, but other people, you know, might've met someone or seen an organization or seen another talk and said, you know, that's the next step for me. I mean, that's how, I, that's how I found Snowflake. I went to a big data meetup oh. where they presented Snowflake uh, just a few weeks after GA and went, wow. I was an independent consultant and I went, holy cow, this is like a dream come true from an architect perspective. <laughs> it's like I've been building these data warehouses for decades. This solved so many problems for me. I just very excited and then started following the company, kept in touch with the presenters, and then eventually saw an opening that looked like a great opportunity and called up the presenter and said, hey, tell me more about this company. Tell me about the leadership. Tell me what, you know, a little more in-depth, the non-technical pieces of it, and then decided to go ahead and apply. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. You know, I got, I got the job and here I am. Uh, and you're having fun from what I'm seeing. So yeah. that's good. Yes. And, and since we talked a little about you training like um, people that were just getting started and uh, in their careers, especially in data, you you broke them in, so to say. Uh, and now they're leaders in, the, uh, in their companies. Like what would be your top leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Well, I, I think that is... Um, one, be a student. So even as a leader, 
you need mentors. So look in your industry, um, find people to follow. We have social media now, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn. Find uh, people you look up to in your industry and, and follow them and read what they write and talk with them at conferences if you get a chance so that you have a role model to look at because you have to continue to grow yourself um, as things change. And two is the is what I said before, the servant leadership. Realize that you're there, your best role is helping those people who are following you and empowering them to grow in their careers and in their knowledge. Uh, and just, you know, always be networking and always be learning because things do change, right? If I wasn't yeah. open to oh, that, yeah. again, I, would, I, I wouldn't be here at Snowflake, right? If I hadn't been willing to go, you know, I, I spent almost 30 years in the Oracle space and was, as I said, an Oracle Ace director. Um, I was speaking globally on data modeling in the Oracle space and data analytics in the Oracle space. And if I had not been willing to consider an alternative, I wouldn't have had this opportunity, right? So being open to, even though you may think you've got the best thing going, as you said, you may learn Maybe from someone not. else and you've got to yeah. be, you've got to be open to that. And, um, you know, to be a leader, you, you have to be open to change. You have to be willing to push the boundaries in, in many cases. Yeah, with how you were viewed back in HP, you could have easily been alive for and retired from HP. So, Probably so, yes. Probably nothing so. wrong with that if, if that's what yeah. people motivate. But uh, as you said, that the world is changing at a faster and faster pace. And you might you, you, you just might know even better opportunities, opportunities might be right around the corner, make you even more yes. fulfilled. So you have to stay so, aware. And since since we we've spoke about data so much, I want to ask you about data 1.0 or how I like to put it. What is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Well, um, really, I mean, there's a lot. Of course, Bill Inman's original book on um, building the data warehouse, you know, kind of set the stage. But the one that probably had the biggest impact is called The Goal by the goal. Um, Eli. I say his name right here, uh, Goldratt. And it's about the, it's a novelization about the application of the theory of constraints in a manufacturing environment. And I was pointed to that by actually an Oracle DBA. And it, it was about the method and approach to eliminating bottlenecks in a workflow. And I was able to take that and apply that uh, from an agile perspective to, you know, this team that I've been talking about that, um, I mentored, we actually took techniques that I saw in that and applied it to how we operated our data team. So what would be uh, the number one technique you effective. got from that? Uh, the number one technique I got from that was learning how to identify and eliminate bottlenecks in your process. What's so How would you, you identify down? them? How do you, what's, what's like the creep sheet note out? It's an analysis. It's a systems analysis. It's, it's really okay. a systems analysis. At looking at. Um, and this was again, before I knew a lot about agile, but it turns out it's an agile, you know, really an agile technique retrospectives, right? That's how you identify the bottlenecks is you sit down and say, well, what did we do? Um, what took us longer than we thought it should have taken? And is there anything we can do to eliminate that? 
you know, maybe it's ad automation, maybe it's uh, have a checklist, but figure out, you know, how can we make that piece of the process go faster? And as you figure out where the bottlenecks are in the end-to-end -end process of delivering what you're trying to deliver, you eventually speed the entire uh, value chain up. In this case, we're talking about uh, uh, it was manufacturing, so the uh, uh, the uh, the production line, right? So I, I started thinking about software and data as you know, del, del, like a production factory. How can we pipeline. turn this into more of a factory pipeline? Yes, to de deliver new data and new value and new reports on a regular basis. Uh, but to do that efficiently, it was about identifying the bottlenecks. And um, that um, daily standups stand were the number one, when I talk about agile data warehousing and agile data analytics, I tell people, if you do nothing else, do daily standups. And you've got to get everyone on the team to be honest and realize that we succeed or fail as a team. Once you have that, then people can have the daily report and say, yeah, I didn't get this done. Okay, why didn't you get it done? What prevented you from getting that done? And it could be knowledge, it could be skills, or it could be outside interference from something outside the team. And as, as you can identify those very quickly, then you can make the changes necessary to make the team even more efficient. Um, and ultimately, the, uh, the, another book came out years later called The Phoenix Project, Project, which talks about applying the theory of constraints to software. And when I read that, it was like, okay, that's what I was doing. So I, I did it. I did a fairly decent job of interpreting the theory of constraints and and adding and using it in a software and data world. And so, um, so I recommend people read that. The goal it's it's a it's an easy read and it's very interesting. But it also from what we talked about before, putting yourself in the place of a business person. That's a great way to do that. That's a, a great example from a manufacturing perspective. You know, that whole book was written from that perspective of a plant manager. Right? But then take that and apply that. Uh, and then the next one, of course, is the Phoenix Project. So you would read it, read that. But the goal had the most impact because the Phoenix product, Project wasn't written until like 10 or 15 years later. Um, so this one was, was very early on that I read it in the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, somewhere in there, and had a, a massive impact. And it evolved my concept of agile data warehousing um, long before people talked about agile data. Uh, and it sounds like, because many people for, forget it's important to be involved with the details, but you also have to be able to take a step back and see the whole picture because you yes. can lose sight of the goal. And that's what you're doing like with the standups and everything. It's let's look at it, at it all. Are we still heading in the right direction? Uh, where, and you, you have to step back to see the bottlenecks. If you're stuck in it, you cannot see that it's a bottleneck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I wanted to ask you, especially for our audience, since you mentioned the daily standups and the importance that they hold, how can you hold a daily standup and make sure it doesn't feel like being in a classroom? Okay, kids, what did you have to prepare for today, Jimmy? Why didn't you get your homework done? Because a lot of people hate standouts because that's exactly how they feel. It brings back bad memories. Yeah, and again, that's part of the culture of the organization. And so 
I've found it from an for agile and to really take hold, it has to be a, a organizational effort and the leadership at the top of the organization have to exhibit that transparency themselves and, and tell folks, this is how we're going to do it. And it's that it's not about blame. It's about succeeding as a team and working together as a team and helping each other. And that was one of the challenges with that was the, um, you know, this is not personal. This is about improving the performance of the team and helping individual team members. Because some of that is, well, you asked me to do something and I really don't know how to do it. Okay, well, you have to be willing to ask for that. And that's how you grow and that's how you learn. So as a leader, being able to impart that concept is, is very important. Um, and there will, I had people on that team that I led that eventually asked to be removed from the team because they, they just couldn't cope with that. Uh, and they didn't, um, they didn't really take to the data things. They wanted to go back to whatever it was they were doing before. And I said, I said, fine. And I let them transfer. And as a result of that, the team actually became more productive. So I didn't uh -huh. have to micro, because uh, otherwise I was actually micromanaging the people who really didn't get you it have bottlenecks really want to be part of it they were the part of the bottleneck and once i got rid of them and my manager said are you sure you want to do that because you're going to go from you know you've got six people and now you're only going to have five and it's like yeah i think it'll i think it'll work out okay and it sure enough it did because then my time was freed up to lead the team rather than manage the individual uh, and so that it is all about the culture and you know and how you lead them Exactly. Oh, well, can so much stuff we could go on and talk. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. But we're we're already <laughs> past the time. So if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? All right. Well, um, you can find me online. I am on Twitter. It's just Kent Graziano is my handle on Twitter. Uh, obviously find me on LinkedIn as well. As far as I know, I think I'm the only Kent Graziano on LinkedIn. And if you like search for Kent Graziano and Snowflake, you will definitely find me. Um, I, I have a blog, uh, which is just kentgraziano.com. And that's the data warrior blog though. Honestly, that one's I'm not keeping that up very much these days because I'm really busy with Snowflake. Um, but I do write, uh, blogs. There's some blogs on uh, the Snowflake site that I've written as well. Um, and then, of course, you go to snowflake.com slash blog is where the blog is. Um, snowflake.com slash uh, rise of the data cloud for the podcast is another one I would recommend people look at if they want to learn more about uh, data in the cloud and, uh, and what Snowflake offers and what our, our customers are, are seeing, what kind of value they're driving. But, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I am pushing things all the time on Twitter pretty much every day. Um, so if you want to keep up on, you know, where, where I might be speaking, what events, uh, webinars I'm, I'm on, things like that, I'm always publishing those on LinkedIn and Twitter primarily. Great. I actually, there's so many of them I had, I was trying to keep a list on my blog, but <laughs> I kept getting so many, I just, I couldn't keep up with it, honestly. <laughs> so I had to stop doing that and, and just go for social media as the way to, to alert people as to what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. Uh, and we're going to put links in the show notes for uh, all the, your social media accounts so people can keep track and also for uh, the other resources you recommended uh, to make it easier for people to track you down. 
and listen to your wise words. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Kent, for coming on the show. It's been a true pleasure. Bye. Thank you for having me, guys. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.